is what I tell myself. The only thing separating me from Killian Journey, the Elk Runner, is I just didn't realize the crap I was breathing for too long. But people who have choices, if I have a rowing machine and a bunch of HEPA filters running in my house, I'm staying inside. Hey, Howard. Hi, Paul. How's it going? Going reasonably well, but the week is early. <laughs> There's lots of time for things to spiral <laughs> out of control. That's the spirit. Um, this isn't quite an ask me anything, but a question I know both of us get a lot, and I probably get more than you do, maybe, because I'm on the West Coast, but people talking about air and exercise. And weirdly, it feels like 2020 has been surprisingly the year of air and exercise. Yeah, people are starting to recognize the importance of air pollution. It was always something that we heard was in Delhi or parts of China, but we really didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Then this, then this virus woke us up about it. Yeah. yeah, let's start there. Even exercising, coronavirus played into that. The concern was that outdoor exercise, while safer than hanging around in a gym and, I don't know, licking the dumbbells or something. That sounds horrible, by the way. That outdoor exercise would be safer, and yet there's still a chance, obviously. This can be airborne virus. So there was a chance of transmission, but I think the the consensus and on this is that the chances in all but very close proximity for a long period of time in still air, that's not really how you would describe outdoor exercise. So while there was a concern about air and coronavirus, it seems somewhat maybe misplaced, but is the wrong word, but at least it's not something that was worth panicking about. I agree with that completely. I'm not worried about catching coronavirus when um outside and doing my thing but as you pointed out to me really early on in this back in january february that air pollution could probably make your risk of getting a more severe infection worse it's weird the way these two things and maybe not so weird given that they both have to do with lung function in many ways exacerbate each other play into each other i mean and so it's it's created a, a double whammy problem but if we start off with saying that coronavirus was our first, no pun intended, exposure to air as a a bad thing, potentially in 2020. It's gotten a lot worse in the last, well, two, three weeks now, in large part because, as you said, we used to think about air pollution as being something that happened in, I don't know, some industrial suburb of Shanghai or Delhi or somewhere else. And in the last couple of weeks, the numbers that we've seen on the U.S. West Coast, literally from Tijuana up to Vancouver, British Columbia, are pretty stunning in terms of the pollutants, the, the, the PM 2.5, the small fine particles that get deep into your lungs and smoke and whatever else. Hey, let me tell you what PM 2.5 is, because Paul and Howard are going to keep using that abbreviation, and they never really explain it. The PM and PM to 0.5 stands for particulate matter, which means small stuff, and the 2.5 part means to 0.5 microns, or about 120th the width of a human hair. That's what Paul and Howard are talking about, that tiny, invisible stuff in the air. Beats me why they make me explain it. These numbers we've been seeing that have been very persistent are, are just stunning. Yeah, it's, it's off the charts, literally. <laughs> yeah. I, you, know, I, you got me interested in... PM 2.5. And so I got my little IQ air meter. And I remembered 
numbers up in the 50s and 60s that bothered me or concerned <laughs> me about going out for a run. Yeah. We're seeing numbers in the four or 500 now. I, I was looking at live numbers earlier today up in uh, the Sierra Nevadas, Central California. AQIs of over 600. PM 2.5s of over 500. I mean, it's just astonishing. These are numbers that even in some of the worst polluted parts of the world you would never see. Granted, in theory, this is transient unless we continue burning California for a decade, but it's still a number that should be worrisome. And so the, the way I thought we could come into this is talk a little bit about first lung function. Let's talk about how the lungs work and how they deal with stuff when it comes to oxygenating uh, your body and dealing with the things that it breathes in and then talk about what the things are it breathes in. Air starts down a series of pipes and ends up at the bottom of your lungs, but that path is pretty interesting and that's what matters. Lungs are fascinating. In general, openings from our body to the external world are quite dangerous for us. If you have a cut and stays open, you're going to get an infection and your lungs are open to the outside world, yet the majority of us don't suffer from pneumonia all day <laughs> right. and every day. Yeah. So we start off with these large airways that go down through our pharynx and our throat, down to our trachea and into the bronchi. So we start with these large air passages that are similar to a highway. And then you exit the highway and you branch onto a large, large local street. And you keep breaking down until you get down into the bronchioli, down to the final windpipes, part of the windpipe or the alveoli, which are the tiny little air sacs. That's where gas exchange occurs. There's lots of different protection mechanisms, both in the airway itself and in the alveoli to stop bacteria, viruses, particles, etc. I loosely think of it in terms of there being two classes of defense. There's the physical kinds of defense, and then there's the more immunological kinds of defense. The diameters of the pipes themselves, of your mouth versus the size of the, the lower passages in your lungs, is a defense. It makes it very hard to inhale, say, a bowling ball. It doesn't fit. But you can you can take it down a few diameters. Even if I can breathe in a ping pong ball, it's not going to make it down to my alveoli because there's just a, a fundamental misfit in terms of diameter. So even the physical sizes of these things, leaving aside all the other defenses we have, represent uh, a defense. But there's a lot more. There's nose hair. There's macrophages on the immunological sides. Absolutely, yes. And don't forget the cilia, those lovely little hairs that line and just keep pushing all particles, large particles, back up to our pharynx. So as you go down deeper into the lungs, the real issue is what the, what the lungs are trying to do is preserve lung function fundamentally. But then in terms of this open orifice problem, this open passage problem, they don't want stuff to make it to the bottom, to these sacs, these alveoli, because that's the point where, as you say, gas exchange occurs, which is essentially saying that's where you get into, if you've ever seen the old science fiction movie, The Fantastic Voyage, that's where you get to make the great jump into the bloodstream. Where you cross over, you're no longer in a world dominated by air. You're in a world dominated by the bloodstream. And from there, you just go floating around on a happy boat all through the human body. Off on a fantastic voyage, actually entering inside the human body, exploring an unknown universe, unknown dangers. Yes, between the cilia, the mucus, the macrophages, and the various types of macrophages. Uh, we have 
lots of stuff that's clearing all foreign substances from us all, all along the way because that gas exchange layer is one cell layer thick. Uh, and when that starts to thicken for various reasons, that's when we start to have issues exchanging oxygen coming in and carbon dioxide heading out. Because of the the very, very thin layer of cells that's, that are fundamental to this exchange, that has to be protected pretty ferociously. And that's one of the reasons to get back to macrophages, for example, and then from there to get back to coronavirus. Why the immune response in the lungs can be so ferocious, and you get into these things like cytokine storms and what have you, because it's the last guard mobilization when something gets down deep in the lungs and the body's response is, that's got to be gotten out of here. That doesn't belong here and I can't let it go any further. So these, so the macrophages can respond very, very aggressively. Those macrophages are summoned from our bone marrow by various chemicals and hormones and they show up into the alveoli to clean up bacteria, viruses, whatever it may be. And in doing so, they're going to create some damage. So then the macrophages can transition to a different type of macrophage, and they're actually going to sit down and repair that area. But of course, as you alluded to, the process can go awry. And if there are too many invaders or too many macrophages, they start releasing these troublesome cytokines that can cause inflammation. Now we're in trouble. And that's Uh, why we we heard stories, even in this particular pandemic, but even if you look back and read the stories of the Spanish influenza, about patients who essentially drowned because of run amok. It seems we weren't there, but from what we can see from subsequent pathologies of lungs, that sound that they had these cytokine storms induced by overaggressive macrophage responses that caused so much cellular detritus and this liquefaction in the lower levels. This is the end of the free public preview of the Simplavita podcast. For the full podcast, including a transcript and show notes, you can upgrade at simplavita.com. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. We will not respond to requests for medical advice.